This episode of That Song From That Movie is coming up after this. Hi there, I'm Megan. And I'm Danielle. And we are Crime and Roses. We are a true crime and Bachelor franchise recap podcast. Yeah, we're both. We are two Georgia attorneys watching and recapping all things Bachelor just for you. So we're talking Bachelor, Bachelorette, Bachelor in Paradise, Winter Games, Summer Games, all the games. Basically any show that ABC comes up with and forces us to watch. And then we'll release a true crime episode connected to what we've seen on the show that week. So if you don't like true crime, we have The Bachelor. And if you don't like The Bachelor, we have true crime. And if you don't like either, we're probably not the podcast for you. And that's okay. So if you're into one of those things, both of those things, come check us out as we combine our two favorite things into one-stop listening shop for you. So find us on your favorite podcatcher and on social media at Crime and Roses and email us at crimeandroses at gmail.com. Bye. Love you. Mean it. Americans call it playing hooky. People from Yorkshire, like me, call it skiving. And apparently there's some people that call it bonking. Either way, Ferris Bueller is not at school on today's episode of that song from that movie. Are you focused? Um, sure. The answer is yes. Thank you for joining that song from that movie, The Journey Through the Very Best and Worst of Movie Songs. I am your righteous dude, Host Dietrich, and today we're joined by a heartless wench, Alex. <laughs> Is there a specific reason why I'm heartless? I mean, I know I'm a wench, but, but why specifically heartless? You should know, Alex. Yeah. And he's wearing a leather jacket, white t-shirt, sweater vest, and is devastatingly handsome, Ben. My wife would love it if I wore a leather jacket. And we actually had this conversation this morning. She's like, why don't you ever wear a leather jacket? Mostly because I don't own one. And secondly, I find them so, they're so hot and sticky. Yeah, they're too hot. As I'm getting older, I'm sweating more. I, therefore, I'm less able to wear a leather jacket. And it's not the weather for a leather jacket either. No, it's not the weather for a leather jacket. Can you say that three times quickly? No. <laughs> so what have we been watching this week? We watched a film last night, which was called Dating Amber, which was very good. I think it's on Amazon Prime if anyone uh, wants to check out. I feel like I feel like it's ringing a bell, but I don't know why. It's about um, two gay teenagers in Ireland in the nineties. One is a boy, one is a girl, and they like kind of start going out with each other so that nobody thinks okay. that they're gay. Yeah, but it's decent. Good. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah, very good. I'd recommend. I went to the cinema this morning to see The Father. How is he? <laughs> good. Well done. Um... Thank you. I shouldn't be laughing while now I talk about this. I don't know if I should say it. If you can like a film like that, I, you know, I cried. But it's, you know, it's it's just really sad. Never watch it again. Decent performances. There we go. Fair enough. I watched, um, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head fully, but the Harley Quinn movie. The one that's like Birds of Prey uh, yeah, and the Fantabulous. Yeah, just say, just say something, Birds something, of Prey. Something, something. Birds of Prey. Yeah. It should have been better. Uh, yeah, I thought, I thought the same. It's, like, it's fine. It's better than Suicide Squad, but... You know, leave it at that. I mean, what's not, I suppose. Exactly, yeah. I don't know if the new one's any decent. I've, I've not seen it. No, not is, is it even out? I don't know. I, yeah, because I could have gone to see it today, and I chose not to. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I hope it's better than this Invo. It quite clearly is a Harley Quinn movie. Yeah, well, I guess they know what properties are going to sell their uh, films. Yeah, definitely. Even though I don't think this did very well at the cinema. No, no. But Space Jam 2 is, apparently. It's is top it? in the box office, yeah. <laughs> no surprises there. <laughs> 
Well, apparently the franchise is worth uh, $4.6 million or something. It's a billion, probably. I was about to say, you think billion. <laughs> million is not a lot. Le billion. <laughs> Le billion, James. <laughs> you, you write for the New Yorker, don't you, Alex? Yes. Okay. So today's episode is Twist and Shout from the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So, Ben? Time for some history. Thank you very much, Dietrich. Yes, so we are going back to February 1987, which was its UK release. Yes, it came out a year earlier in America. I don't care. So, even though all my news is mostly across the border, figure skater Brian Bartono wins the US Male Figure Skating <laughs> Championships. Do you know how? Um, did he do a triple pike or whatever it was called? <laughs> triple sal or something? Two sal chows and a triple lutz. Obviously, yeah, obviously. While wearing a blindfold, which was not true. I don't think he did any of those things. <laughs> Oh, in UK news. Oh, look, I've surprised myself. The Church of England allows for the ordination of women for the first time, though they wouldn't be able to hold rank of bishop till 2014, making diagonal moves very difficult. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly the reaction I was seeking with that one. Checkmate. <laughs> and the world says goodbye to Vladsu, I'm assuming that's how you pronounce it, Vladsu Valentino Liberace, who I think we mentioned quite recently, who passed away at the age of 67, which... Apparently, he was the highest paid entertainer in the world at this time. And also another uh, legendary artiste in Andy Warhol passed away at uh, age 58, which is incredibly young. I did not realise it was that young. Yeah. I was going to say he was shot. He, he did get shot. He was shot. He? Was he shot? He did get shot, but I don't think it, that caused him to die. Someone tried to assassinate him at one point. What an odd individual I to assassinate. Remember. Yeah. <laughs> at what level of esteem is it an assassination? Like, if I was killed on the street, is that, am I just killed or am I assassinated? I suppose it depends. I guess an assassination might might imply that there was some sort of, um, you were hired to do it, I guess. Like a hit out on uh, okay. the person. Uh, contract, right. Like a hit. Yeah, like, like a, hit a contract man. killing. Uh, Whereas right, okay. a murder is just a random act of, <laughs> it's one minute, maybe not necessarily <laughs> random, but yeah. But yeah, someone's paid not paid them. Yeah. yeah, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I'll have to look at those definitions. I'd be very privileged if someone wanted to pay to kill me. In other news, Ferris Bueller's Day Off was released in the UK in 1987 and was directed by the late John Hughes. So, intending to make one last duck out before graduation, Ferris Bueller calls in sick alongside his girlfriend Sloane and friend Cameron, takes Cameron's dad's Ferrari and embarks on a one-day journey through the streets of Chicago. On Ferris's trail, though, is his high school principal Rooney, determined to put an end to his nemesis once and for all. So, this is a... I think was initially classed as a cult classic because it wa it wasn't incredibly successful straight away. Uh, has pretty good uh, level of fame now. But what do you guys think, D? I know you've recently seen this for the first time. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I watched it for the first time last week, mm -hmm. and honestly, I really didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I did. Yeah, I kind of expected it was going to be a bit like when I watched The Breakfast Club, yeah. and although it had memorable moments. That is just mostly conversations, which I don't think are as deep as people make them out to be. <laughs> Whereas this one was a lot more fun. It's incredibly fun, isn't it? My main takeaway was me constantly going, oh, that's what that's from. <laughs> For example, when Stewie Griffin is chasing after the car to get to the swimming pool first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It has to be one of the most referenced films of all time. And now I get all these references. Yeah. In a way, I mean, it was probably done before this. And wait, it definitely was done before this, but... When I think of fourth wall breaks, it's this film. 
Like he directly talks to the camera throughout most of the film. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen or will ever see Matthew Broderick as charismatic as he is in this film. Damn attractive. The previous example on this podcast is Godzilla, and it was like a void. In <laughs> it, that it, one. It, it does go downhill quite quickly. Uh, Alex, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I saw it. I think I've only actually seen it once, but probably about five years ago. Um, but I really like it as well. I think it's probably my favourite John Hughes film, I'd say. Certainly up there. More than Mr. Mom. <laughs> Unfortunately, that, that's second in the list, obviously. <laughs> um, I think, like Dee said, some of his other films can be a bit like too earnest or, or think they're deeper than they are and they're a bit too serious. I think this one finds a really good balance because like even there's a touch of that sort of serious side with the Cameron storyline who I send who, you know, is essentially the main character in this film if we're looking at it on yeah. like who which character changes the most within it. But it's really blended nicely with the comedy and the light hide romp of it all really smoothly in this one, which I think maybe is not it's not as successful in it in some of his others. And I think because of that, the seriousness the, the sort of the undercurrent, the bubbling undercurrent of uh, Cameron's teenage malaise, sort of packs more of um, a punch because it's contrasted with these like really high energy moments, uh, like we'll talk about when we get onto the song. So yeah, I think I just think it's good. Yeah, I think it's really like D said. I think like when you watch it the first time, I think well, this is probably never going to be as good. It can never live up to kind of the hype that this sort of film maybe has, but it, yeah, but it yeah. but it does. Would you say it was teenage malaise? Because I'm pretty sure he's incredibly depressed. <laughs> yeah, I suppose it goes beyond that, doesn't it? Um, I suppose it goes it goes into whether yeah to how I, I guess it goes yeah it goes into whether a teenager can truly be full on depressed. But I guess it goes that far, doesn't it? Like it definitely yeah. goes to that level. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think yeah. so. You're probably right. It goes beyond malaise. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I I think when I first saw it, I never thought of it in that way. I guess maybe with different heads as I've grown up. Um, I think you can read in... I mean, it's it's an option, but you can read into this film in a, in a lot deeper ways that I don't think... I think you could enjoy this on a purely sort of surface level. Like, there's just, there's a lot of entertainment going on. Ferris Bueller, Matthew Broderick, like Dee said, incredibly charismatic. The the quieter moments, the somber moments, like the piece with when they're in the museum. In the art gallery. Yeah, um, and like Cameron's just staring at that poster, uh, a picture with the the girl with like the, with our face. You can read a lot more into those moments that I think if you chose, you could just completely skirt past it. Have you guys ever seen the? Uh, it's, it's sort of become not necessarily a meme, but like a, it's, there's like a YouTube clip of that scene with the audio commentary from John Hughes, must be from the DVD, presumably, and no? it is amazing. Him no. analyzing the scene. What's scene. he saying? <laughs> Just it's just talking about Cameron looking at that painting and like the more he looks, you know, because it zooms in and in and in. Oh, and the yes, idea yeah. is that with that kind of painting, the closer you look, there's there's literally nothing there because it's sort of like it's been painted in a way that you have to look oh, at yeah, it from yeah, far yeah, back, from a distance. Yes, yeah. So it kind of like as it zooms in, it goes the more and more he looks, the more he sees nothing <laughs> reflecting back at him. <laughs> and it's just like it's just so sad. It's like you have to go back and watch it because like you'll find yourself like almost like tearing up because it's just like so emotional the way it's describing the oh, scene yeah. that is directed in the film. But I, I just I do think that like in this one it just it, those those moments do pack such a punch because they're contrasted Definitely. with those sort of like yeah those jollier moments. Yeah, I think he's depressed because like he says at the start when he's in bed. I mean he's surrounded by things like tissues and medication and things like that, and he's had a few days off. But he gets up and he's absolutely fine for the rest of the day. He doesn't know what's going on, I don't think, in himself. 
his dad is clearly like, the antagonist of the film yeah. because there is a, I know there's Roon, um, Rooney, but he's kind of almost so comical, and so he he never wins that he, you never really see him as an antagonist. Whereas the father's quite scary. I feel anxiety about what's happening to that car when those two guys steal the Ferrari. I'm sweating <laughs> um, because I'm I'm scared for Cameron and. I guess there's the sort of rebirth moment where he falls in the pool, which, you know, you could see that as, you know, the joke about him attempting to kill himself in the film. And he kind of comes out and says, you're my hero, Ferris. I think that's what Ferris Bueller is trying to do the whole film. It looks like he can almost be a bit of a dick sometimes that he's dragging Cameron along to do these things that he doesn't really want to do. But I think it's that he's doing it all for him to show him that I guess the point of that of the film is the you know life moves pretty fast if you don't stop and look around once in a while you might miss it live your life which i think as i'm getting older i'm starting to hit on that more whereas when i'm younger it's like i don't give a shit <laughs> but yeah i feel a lot of anxiety when i watch this film though i want that car to come back in pristine condition which doesn't make sense how it is because those guys drive it over that lip of that hill uh, way too quickly it's all about living in the present. It's a very mindful film. Ferris Bueller is almost imaginary. He gets away with so many things. He is perfect in a lot of ways. Like the reality. Too perfect, perhaps? It, I mean, I, yeah, because I think when I first saw it, I didn't like the character too, that much. Um, I found him quite smarmy. Oh yeah, definitely. Incredibly so. And yeah, too many things go his way. But I think as, I, as the second time and future times I've watched it, I see it more as he, he's supposed to embody the sort of archetypal protagonist everything's just built around him and as we go on to talk about the parade scene that encapsulates that moment because it's so ridiculous but you just go along with it and i think that's what the great thing about this film there's a lot of ridiculousness but you just accept it for some reason i will say that i expected there to be more hijinks in this movie <laughs> really i thought there's plenty of hijinks. other than well other than the parade scene it's all quite tame like they go to a museum they go for a meal <laughs> they go to an observing deck of a big building. Hey, whoa, whoa. Obviously, I only watched it last week, so in my head, I built up this thing that, like, I don't know, he, he snuck into a zoo and let a tiger out, or uh, robbed a bank, something like that. <laughs> something, something like, absolutely wild and law-breaking. Doesn't sound like a day off that day. That sounds like a lot of work. Maybe the uh, the bank sounds like a, you need a lot of prep work, but I think uh, letting a tiger out of the zoo would be fine. I think you could do that on, on the limb. Well, I'll take, take your word for it, <laughs> I guess, I guess, like it doesn't it, like obviously the parade scene is quite elaborate, but the other stuff, I guess, it kind of doesn't have to be like crazy because it's just the idea that they're not where they should be because like, you know they're not at yeah, school. I so I guess like it's kind of everything that they do that day is heightened or it's given that extra like oh this is a bit crazy just because it's not what they should be doing I suppose. But yeah, I get your point. Like I thought the same thing. I thought it would be there would be more going on. Which eighties female star did John Hughes reject for the role of Sloan? Uh, probably, well, I was going to say Molly Ringwald, but I don't know if he would have rejected <laughs> yes. her. Oh, <laughs> he did, yeah. He said the role was too big for her. Too, no, the role wasn't big enough for her. That's the way we're doing it. Yeah. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> the role was too big for you, Molly. And similarly, who do you think he had considered for the role of Ferris Bueller? Um, ooh, uh, Two actors in particular. Emilio Estevez. Emilio Estevez was one, yeah. Really? How did you get that? <laughs> well, I suppose Charlie Sheen. Did you know that already? Reason. Yeah, Charlie Sheen. I'm not just naming the movie. cast of The Breakfast Club. What's going on? Uh, yes, and who else is in The Breakfast Club? <laughs> Oh, the guy, uh, the guy with the the fist bump at the end. I can't remember what his name is. No, the other guy, the ginger guy. 
Yeah, the ginger cat. I don't know what his actor's name is, I'm afraid. Um, I know we did the episode, didn't we, earlier on? Like, about a year ago now. Anthony Michael Hall. Oh, yeah, that's it. He's also in... He's in. Is he in Pretty in Pink as well? Uh, I don't remember He's him. in Weird Science. I don't remember him being in Pretty Pink. In Pretty Pink, it's um, John Cryer's in it. And, yes, um, it is, yeah. These were all rumoured, and probably just because <laughs> like, John Hughes seemed to have like just this <laughs> band of children behind him at all times. No puns no. or anything like no. that. Um, <laughs> Leave it there. But yeah, it's quite weird, I think, with John Hughes. He is so famous. He is Mr. 80s teen drama. Yet, like, he won no awards. He never got any recognition, really, at the time. And he died incredibly young. So I can't imagine what his career would have been like. Sort of if he went in further into the 2000s and the 2010s, I can't imagine what he would have done. Because, like, all his films, I mean, I say all his films, most of his films are the same in some way. You know, Pretty in Pink, Weird Science, Breakfast Club, Home Alone, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. There's a lot, a huge amount of similarities. National Lampoons, there's a lot of similarities in these films. And I the similarity don't... being Chicago. The town of Chicago. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he does love... I, I love actors that can really grasp a city. Like, um, I think the best recent example for that was, well, Luca Guadagnino in uh, Call Me By Your Name, which is where he grew up, and Greta Gerwig in Sacramento in Ladybird. Like, you can just tell when someone's from a place, like, and they just know every corner of it and how to film it and, where, you know, what like weather makes it look good. I feel like John Hughes really loves Chicago. Uh, and just basically like nothing exists outside of it but to be fair from the parade scene it does seem like a kind of decent place to go um and we'll move on to that interestingly there's a lot of good music in this film but john hughes never released the music on the album he didn't want a soundtrack which i think is quite interesting he said they wouldn't work as an album they only work in context of the film and they only work with the scene it has been released in recent years but John Hughes did not want it to be released, which I find is quite interesting. And you need a certain amount of power and pull within the producers to avoid that, because they paid yeah. a lot of money for some of these songs as well. It seems odd they wouldn't release it at the time. I mean, even going above John Hughes' head and just getting it out there for the money. Yeah, exactly. And this film was, especially from uh, previews, was not expected to do very well. It's quite interesting, the life it's had. But yeah, the big scene for me please argue it if you would like, involves the song Twist and Shout by the Beatles. Now, in the film, the song plays out while the world continues to revolve around young Ferris as he climbs aboard a parade float and everyone begins to have a party around him during a uh, parade. It's, I think it's slightly like suspending belief because no one gets him off. No one says like, hey, you kid, <laughs> what the hell are you doing? And everyone seems to know the words for these two songs, which is the first one's Dankeschön by, oh gosh, Wayne Newton, and then uh, Twist and Shout by the Beatles. But what do you guys think of this scene? Yeah, I, I, I love this scene. I thought it was probably the best bit of the entire movie. Yeah, I was right. I sort of was looking online. I think it was a general consensus that this is like the big, the big moment of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Especially seeing as this is like the thing I've seen parodied the most as well. For me, it's all about when those six or seven dancers walk towards the stairs suddenly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the scene changes from being, uh, he's performing to, oh, this is like a full-on set piece. This is going to be like a full-blown showpiece spectacular of the movie. And I was there for it. I, I was I was uh, enjoying it in the moment. I wanted to join in. Did they do the thriller dance at one point? I they like... do. It's the thriller dance. That's yeah. what yeah, they're doing. Right, because interestingly, that's not part of the film. 
So they filmed a lot of the parade sequences during something called the Von Steuben Day Parade, which is an annual event in Chicagoland. There was just people like around dancing to like when they were doing this performance, and so John Hughes just kept pointing the camera at them. So there's like a window washer like dancing on his sort of um, like conveyor. Yeah, you know that was just a actual window washer, <laughs> and he would, so they just recorded it. Um, so there's quite a few little bits like that, and those uh, that dance troupe that comes down the stairs. It's just another one. They were just dancers uh, that were randomly there, and so he just filmed them and put it in the film. Well, I mean, it was a good shot as far as I'm concerned because it elevated the entire scene. <laughs> There's, so there's a there's a really important part just while the song kicks in where Cameron is talking to Slow and she's like, well, what do you what do you like or what do you want to do? And he's like, nothing. And I think that that's like <laughs> in- immediately depressing. Like again, it just backs up this whole like Cameron storyline of whether it's malaise, whether it's depression, whether it's something even worse than that. So I think that that's like a really crucial bit. I think I do like the scene and I really like the bits that like you describe with the dancing and stuff, which it almost at one point looks like they're almost like roller skating towards the camera. Yes, they're, they're floating, don't they? Almost almost ghostly. Yeah, and so that's like amazing. <laughs> the one thing I really don't like about the scene is actually Ferris in the scene. Not necessarily Ferris, but Matthew Broderick's performance. Because I think he's good in the rest of the film, although like the first time I watched it, I thought I was similar to you, Ben. Like, I found him a bit annoying and a bit uncomfortable to watch. And I think in this scene, especially, and I watched it back earlier, it's kind of really weird because he just feels awkward. He doesn't seem to be like embodying the sort of joyous spirit of it all. It all looks a bit... And you could say maybe, maybe this was a character choice. I don't think it was uh, from, from Matthew Roderick, but it's kind of like everything seems really affected in it. And he doesn't actually... The miming isn't amazing, for one thing. He's just kind of... <laughs> yeah, it's miming? Me. What? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it should feel joyous and liberating, but I just I can't I can't get beyond like the the sort of wooden unnatural performance that he gives of it. I don't know. Maybe it's, you guys watch it again. No, it's really it's really interesting though because originally John Hughes had a dance number prepared. So there's the sort of um, almost like the the Oktoberfest sort of dancers, you know, like around him, and they're all coordinated. Yeah. Matthew Broderick, I think he like tore a muscle in his leg. So he couldn't do it, and he couldn't really move. So he kind of does move very uncomfortably on the <laughs> on the float. They could, and because they had to film it then and there, because it's the Von Steuben Day Parade, it's one day, and you can't rearrange it. So they just had to go with it. They just said he just told everyone to just dance, like do the choreo, do the choreography, do a bit of something else, just do whatever feels natural. Uh, and he couldn't really do much <laughs> because of his leg. So maybe that's kind of why. Maybe that's what I'm picking up on. Because it, it just feels like he's not loose. Like it all yeah, feels, it, it does know. feel like it's a bit like, oh, in my head it was more like he was thinking about what he had, to, what he should do next that might look cool. Or, you know, he's like, oh, well, maybe now I'll croom the mic or maybe I'll do like the twisty bit. You know, it, it all just felt a bit like he was thinking it through. Like almost when you see someone dancing and they're like counting the steps. <laughs> as they do it, like one, two, three, four. I mean, it wasn't quite like that, but it was just more like it just wasn't very, it wasn't loosey goosey as uh, Jack Black once said in uh, school. <laughs> now, yeah, I think it was uh, an injury related. So yeah, um, so may- maybe I've been too harsh on him. <laughs> no, you can still be harsh on him. I think he's had enough in his life anyway. Yeah, I actually think that the uh, disconnect between what everyone's doing and the sort of almost robotic movements of Matthew Broderick actually adds to it because it stops it from being like a flash mob. It feels less. <laughs> Well, less choreographed, even though we know it's choreographed, if that makes sense. Yeah, but I actually think like his bits didn't need to be choreographed. I felt like you could just like let him do what he wants, but I felt maybe that is what they did do, but he just didn't know what to do. 
So it was kind of like, just yeah. go and do something. And then he was kind of like, uh, well, I'll do, I could do this, I could do this. But it wasn't just like he wasn't just in the moment. It didn't feel like he was living in the moment to me. Which is obviously what, what the character of Ferris should be. So it just feels like odd to me, that scene. In his part mm. in the scene. It wasn't a scene that was to everyone's tastes. One person in particular who wasn't a big fan, which was Paul McCartney. (laughs) And they bought the song for $100,000, which is incredible. I was going to say, it must have cost them loads to get Yeah, but yeah, I know. And I mean, the song is not an original Beatles song, which I did Mm -hmm. not know. Uh, I know they covered a lot of songs, especially in the early days. Um, I think they just make things so famous. And I guess it was the 60s that I just assume it was a Beatles original. But no, it was an original recording by someone called The Top Notes in 1961. Now, it's really interesting, and if you listen to this, go to YouTube and listen to it. So The Top Notes, uh, Twist and Shout. It sounds quite different. The lyrics are the same, but it's almost like a a more up-tempo Latin R&B-influenced version. (laughs) It's really, really weird. Can't say I'm a biggest fan. But it was then covered again by the Isley Brothers to the version we now know, more or less. Uh, and then it was recorded by the Beatles with John Lennon's somewhat shouty version yeah. for their debut album. Is that why Paul McCartney didn't like it? Because they chose a John Lennon scene? So. <laughs> it was not, no. <laughs> it was because during the film, they added something to the song, which Paul did not like, which was brass. Uh, so they added a brass band as backing for the song. So like the, um, I think in like the third chorus... Because it's a parade, there's a brass band. And Paul said, like, if it needed a brass band, we'd have done it ourselves. <laughs> All right, Paul. Which is, to me, it's like, oh, it's just such an annoying thing to say. Uh, and apparently it really upset John Hughes. As he said, I, I really did not want to upset a Beatle. <laughs> but does it make much of a difference? If anything, I think it cements it more in the film. Yeah. Because, definitely. yeah, Matthew Broderick's exactly, yeah. definitely not doing that. It sounds more like Paul McCartney wanting to be in the film, like he wanted to be on the floor doing it. Yeah, it just it just seems really odd, doesn't it? Because it's kind of like, well, he's not saying by putting the brass band in there, he's not saying that the song needed a brass band. Like you say, it's more to cement it in the parade rather than anything. It's not saying that the song would have been better if it had a brass band in verse three. It's, it's the Beatles, like John Hughes, is not going to do that, is it? So it's just a really weird thing to say. No, it's not like John Hughes was coming for the Beatles, do you know. What I mean? <laughs> Wouldn't use their song otherwise, would it? No, exactly. Yeah, and I think this was one of the songs that he went for. I don't know where you guys stand on the Beatles, generally. Yay, nay, meh. Generally, yes. Yeah, generally, yeah. I like their later albums, sort of, after Rubber Souls, like Rubber Soul, Revolver. Uh, so about Please Please Me? No, I'm not a huge fan of the earlier ones. I mean, I, I do, I don't dislike them, but I'm more into like the kind of like when it went a bit psychedelic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a bit more experimental. Yeah, when they stopped doing uh, live touring and stuff. But it's not like I dislike this stuff. It's just it, this kind of song just sounds like re- relatively generic rock and roll of the time, doesn't it? It's not. I think they were more of an image or an idea of a band at this point than than, than maybe they became later yes. on. I don't know. That's kind of much of my opinion, but I don't dislike it. I don't know necessarily why they had to pay so much money for this song to put in this film. Because like when you said we were doing this song, I, I, I remembered the scene, but I'd forgotten what song was in it. I don't think this song necessarily is like... Okay. I think they could have used something else and it probably would have worked fine. Maybe they could have used yeah. something that wasn't, you know, that they could make iconic rather than something that was already really famous that they've put in and hasn't added much. 
I think because I think the scene works mm. on its own with any song, probably. Or they could have, you know, they could have used something that was more contemporary. I don't know. I also don't know. But I just, I just don't think I'm, I'm not that bothered for this song in this scene of this movie. <laughs> I find it quite interesting that they record two songs on the parade. Yeah. So they record Dankeschön, which people listening might not recognise it. It's kind of like a slow melodic song. And then they sing another one, which I find quite weird. Like, just the timings of it. Like, did you need both? I thought it was weird watching it. It, it, it just seems, a t- it does seem a Yeah, it looks, it looks yeah. odd, doesn't it? I wonder if, again, it was similar to the whole brass band thing, that they were trying to embed it within the parade more. Because it's kind of like, oh, well, you wouldn't just see them begin this song and it starts. Maybe it was more like, oh, well, we've got to lead into mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And it gives something to be happening in the background while Cameron and Sloan are having that conversation. All I can think is that that was yeah. the logic behind it. Unless they they filmed versions of like multiple different songs and decided on which one to use in the film, which one worked best. In general, Twist and Shout is the big song of this film. There are a lot of other songs that have become maybe synonymous in a soundbite sense rather than the full song. Yellow's Oh Yeah, which is just the yeah. really deep Oh Yeah. I've got two words for this in my notes. Is that it? <laughs> it says Duff Man. <laughs> yeah, it is, yeah, very much so. That's very synonymous with Ferris Bueller's Day Off. The please, 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 please. Is it three pleases or Smiths. two please? Yeah. Well, it's not. It's not the Smiths version though. It's no, the Team Academy but version. It's, yeah, it's the it's the acoustic sort of weirdy version. Yes. Yeah. yeah. During the um the art museum montage, I associate that song with this film. Yeah, I mean, like I said, Dan Shin, I think is it is used well in the film. I just don't think it needs to be together with Twist and Shout. Pick one or the other. I think it uses music very well i think we talked about this before i think 80s was the time or the decade when music and film probably had their best sort of connection not necessarily using it for marketing which i think we're now currently in the time where that is the only reason music is in a film (laughs) because it's mostly we look at the oscars it was all post-credit songs whereas i think in the 80s they it just melded so well and I think this film might be one of the best examples of that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, John Hughes uses music really well across his films, doesn't he? I mean, obviously we've talked about one already, but like Pre and Pink is another example of like a really good soundtrack that's utilised really well. And I think it's just kind of, he clearly thinks about that when he's writing a scene, like what will work well here. And I think some people still do do that. I think like we've spoken before, like about Edgar Wright and things like that, where yeah, it's yeah. a key part of the way they write scenes or the way they visualise or I suppose not visualise in terms of audio, but you know, like when what they what they the picture they're seeing, they're thinking like, well, what song could work well with this? Whether it's yes. to complement, whether it's to be like a bit anachronistic, you know, like how how can it work? And I think there are some people who really think about it, but yeah, like call me, you mentioned "Call Me by Your Name" earlier, actually, Ben, and I think there's a few really good versions. Oh, that's got some really good songs that are used like particularly well in it as well. But mm-hmm. I think, um, yeah, there are so many more films, usually more like blockbuster films, really, aren't they, where they're kind of on the end of the of the film, or even like yeah, like you said, like the Oscar films. Some of those were just weren't like blockbusters in the typical sense, like big action films or anything, or adventure films. But even they were all just like this is a song that's tied to the film rather than a song that's in the film for purely marketing reasons. Yeah. In my notes, I wrote down: Did Matthew Broderick get the role of Inspector Gadget <laughs> because of his outfit when he picks up Sloan from school? <laughs> I love that your mind went there. You know what, D? Yes, we'll say it now. It's on the internet. You heard it exclusive. Exclusive, yeah. yeah. And I think they heard his singing for Dankeschön, which is where he got the role in Lion King. 
You're sure he doesn't do the singing? In that way? He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't know. Of course he doesn't know. <laughs> but you heard it here first. He heard it. First. And you know, once he's on the internet, it's fact. I mean, he can he can obviously kind of sing. I mean, he does sing in that start <laughs> bit in "Can You Feel the Love Tonight." I mean, it's very wispy and um, sexified, but as is everything that Matthew Broderick does. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. He is devastatingly handsome. I mean, he did. He married Sarah Michelle Gellar, and they're still together. Did he? They're still together. Are they? Yeah. Pretty, right. One sec. Matthew Broderick. I mean, he killed. He, he killed like a, a woman and child, though, didn't he? He did. Yes, with his first wife, which is the his sister in this film. Well, was she? Was um, he married to her? The woman yeah, from they, Dirty they Dancing. Married, they got. They got married after what, this. Yeah. What is it, like six degrees of separation? <laughs> well, <I guess. laughs> six degrees of Matthew Broderick. The parents in this film they married after this as well. God. Yeah, and less said about what the dean did in real life, the better. What did he do? Oh, <laughs> oh really? Oh, is he a shady character? That guy. Uh, yes. I feel like I've seen him in something else. Back up, what it is? Yeah, probably a prison. <laughs> probably a prison. Yep, he's been married to Sarah Jessica Parker, not Sarah Michelle Gellar. Sarah, Sarah Jessica, Jessica Parker. Parker. That's the one since ninety-seven. Right. Wow, I didn't know that. Do you want to go straight into the top five? <laughs> Which one do I do? Okay, I'm going to do the worst one. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you'll be glad to know that I've created a jingle. Ah, oh. Just in time for the worst top five ever done. Is it top five? Diddly diddly diddly. <laughs> it's not far off that, actually. Top five. <laughs> <laughs> some, some, yep, yep, it sounds a bit like canine crunches. does, yeah. Um, okay, top five time. As beautifully encapsulated by that lovely little jingle. Um... As we've already talked about, John Hughes loves Chicago. And what's the nickname for Chicago, Alex? The Windy City. Yeah, fantastic. But what I want to know, guys, because we're English, what are the five windy most cities. windy cities in the UK? <laughs> in the UK? Yeah. <laughs> well, they've got to be coastal. I'm pushing it. Sure. I'm pushing it. Are they all coastal? I'm not they telling you. Coastal. This is average wind speed from 81 to 2010, official. Up to 2010. Oh, yeah. that does, does skew it. <laughs> it does skew it. Does, does your data only start at 2011, Dean? Well, it was, that was when the records were mysteriously blown away. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's a lot of a lot of places in this list that aren't cities, so I'm focusing mostly on cities. Oh, okay. The tenuous link for, to the film we're talking about today. Liverpool. Liverpool is number one, Alex. <laughs> Okay, well done. <laughs> I feel like I've achieved something already. You really have. I don't think you've ever done that. Covering all the film-related lists that we have. Finally, we talk about something in your wheelhouse, clearly, on the barometer. Um, and you're there. Brighton. No. Newcastle. Not in the top ten. No. No. Portsmouth. Portsmouth, oh, number dear. two. That's a great shout. Um, are, are there some Welsh, Scottish... Are we talking England specifically, or are we talking UK? Um, we are, well, it says UK, but I think they're all English. Oh, okay. Um, Barrow. No. Dover. No. Morecambe. Yeah. South Coast again. Southampton. No. Cornwall. Cornwall's a county. <laughs> Cornwall St. City. Ives. Do I know where this city is? No. Lizard Point. I, I, uh, Lizard Point. No. You're not, say, you're not naming cities. Land's End. You're not naming cities. <laughs> So there's there another no one that's at Bournemouth? There is no city in... Bournemouth is not in Leicester. There is no city in Cornwall. And I'll fight anyone Truro. from Truro that says that. So, so you're saying that there, there are none on Cornwall? Truro technically is on the list, but Truro's not a city. In fact, let me just have a list. I'm going to look this up. Sorry, Truro. Truro. <laughs> All right, Truro. Truro's a city in England. It's You've been called out. All right, All right. you know what? I love Truro. Red roof, you can suck it. 
Ben Stiller. Truro was Truro. number three on the list. Yeah, we're taking Truro. Oh, so, okay. Bristol. Oh, Bristol. Yeah. Um, I don't. Uh, yeah, another city on the south coast. It is on the south coast. Where I'm thinking, number four. Definitely on the south coast. Yes, yes, I've looked it up. Which in on the, the east? The on the east or the west? County of um, Devon. Canterbury. No, don't Devon. Sorry. Oh, Yeovil. No, I don't know. no, no. You don't know what place that. Plymouth. Plymouth. Oh, Plymouth. Is it Plymouth? Plymouth. Yeah. And the next one is an inland place. Manchester. No. Peterborough. <laughs> Birmingham. Peterborough. <laughs> yeah. Apparently it gets windy there. Do you know what the least windy place is in the UK? London. St. Albans. Well, that's near London. <laughs> well done, Alex. Thank you. <laughs> that was that was the best I could come up with. The least windy scene. <laughs> My other option was doing the five best tourist places in Leeds. <laughs> oh, Royal Arms. No one would have given a shit about it. <laughs> okay, we, we can smash that out in about three seconds. <laughs> I, bet you, I bet you couldn't. Go on. Royal Armouries. There you go. Number one. <laughs> Howard House. Number three. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say Thackeray Medical Museum, but probably no. <laughs> so you don't you don't even know your own city. Temple Museum. I don't know. I turned it off. Oh, Roundy okay. Park was number two. Roundy Park, really? So you never would have got it. See, look at that surprise. Trinity, Trinity, the Trinity. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Right. <laughs> okay, so now it's time to figure out what is better, the movie or the song. Uh, so by doing Twist and Shout versus Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Alex? I think for me it's the film. If we, especially if we're talking specifically about the usage of the song in the film, I'd, you could probably have substituted it for something else, and actually it might have benefited from it. I just don't think this adds much to what is already quite a joyous scene. I just I think it could really have been anything. Um, it seems odd to me that they spent that much money just to get a Beatles song. If, what what Beatles song would you have preferred to go for, Alex, for this moment? <laughs> um, well, like I don't think any real songs from the the era that I prefer would work that well in the scene. <laughs> no, surely. So eight days a week, yeah. Well, yeah, early <laughs> days again. Um, let me think. I am the walrus. No, I suppose you could get get by with a little help from my friends, Sergeant Peppers. That might work. Possibly, that's a bit of a you know an anthem. Yeah. How do you dance to that one? Well, that's it. That's why the the later one's not really dancey numbers. (laughs) Whereas at least the while my guitar gently moves. Yeah. 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 Well, exactly. You know. Eleanor. Yeah. Pick Eleanor Wrigley. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Would have been a uh, different kind of parade. Straight to the morgue. What about Revolution Nine from the White Album? Number nine. Right now, you you put you pushed you pushed out of my uh, knowledge (laughs) now. Let's say you go. Well done. Yeah. Right there. You could have played Ma- um, Charles Manson's favourite, Helter Skelter. For that reason alone. Yeah. That's a bit of a, you know, it's a rocky as well. Helter Skelter. Well, just your version. It sounds like Matthew Broderick's right here with us. Um, I would have, like I say, I don't think you need this song for this scene again, like Alex said. You've already got Dank Shin, and I think that works fine. If you did want something more a beat, there's plenty of other cheaper options out there. Um, and someone as... Uh, musically attuned as John Hughes clearly was, I think he would have been able to dive into a discography somewhere and find one. So, uh, yeah, you also upset a Beatle, so, you know, he has to sleep with that. Yep, same for me as well. I, I, do, I do really like the scene, but it could have been pretty much any high-tempo song and it would have fit just as well. So, for that reason, you've got to go with the movie. Yeah. 
Okay, so that brings an end to another episode of that song from my movie. Let us know on Twitter which one you think is better, the movie or the song. Ben, what is that Twitter handle? At TSFTMPod. Cool. So you can help the podcast in many ways. One of those ways is by sharing this on a random subreddit. But Alex, what should the subreddit be? I think it should be um, the Not Wings subreddit and ask <laughs> yeah. them whether or not they think the use of this song in this film was, was any good. See, see if they have a similar opinion to Paul McCartney about the brass band. Well, I assume we don't need to share on there because they already are big fans of our podcast. Yeah, but you know, you know, I, this is more of a, this is not necessarily a share. It's more of a question. <laughs> Fair enough. So you can also help the podcast by signing up to our Patreon, buying our merch, or leaving us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. There's links in the show notes and on social media. So all that's left now is to do some goodbyes. So it's goodbye from myself, goodbye, and goodbye from Alex. You're still here. It's over. God damn it, Alex. <laughs> that so obviously should be the bit after the credits <laughs> at the end of the episode. <laughs> Oh, uh, and goodbye from Ben. You say Ferris Bueller, you lose a testicle. <laughs> so, goodbye everybody. Bye. Bueller. Yeah. You're still here? It's over. <laughs> it's over. Go home. Bueller. 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 Bueller.